0: Well, there's a kind of a saying out there that says, we all kind of become the five people we spend the most time with. And some of you with young kids, toddlers, you're like, oh boy, am I going to start regressing backwards? Uh, Not sure that that's the point, but it's this idea of the people we are closest to, the people we spend the most time with, we begin to maybe talk like them, dress like them, act like them. We begin to share maybe some of their same interests and hobbies over time. And I don't know if you guys have seen this before, but there are people who I think take this to a different level because they spend a lot of time with their pets. And you see those people who actually look a lot like their pets before? Um, there's, there's competitions all, all throughout uh, the nation, but there's this one that you were told to send in a glamour shot uh, if you believe that you look like your pet. And so I got some of the best for you here. So here's a couple of the people who spend too much time with their pets, they started to look like them. That one was just like whoever got to run the fan for this one deserves a raise. Uh, Here's the next one. This one's fantastic. This one is just the matching mustache. But I gotta say, this next one is hands down. That next one is hands down my favorite. And so here's here's the third one for you. The matching collar. Oh man, that just that was that was too good. Too too good. Um, Some of you, um, you might see my son running around here on Sunday mornings. Um, If you don't know who he is, he's very distinguished, not because he, well, you guys, he looks a lot like me, but he always has on a Patrick Mahomes jersey. And so you're probably wondering, like, oh, you guys must be Chiefs fans. And on the contrary, uh, I'm actually a Miami Dolphins fan. And so last night, there was actually, for those of you who know, the Chiefs played the Dolphins in the playoffs. My son wanted to bet all the money he had on who would win that game, which was $12. Uh, I did not take it because I was very aware that there's no way my team would win. But the only reason I say that uh, is because the only reason my son likes the Chiefs at all is because of one of our good friends, Brandy, who's from Kansas City, and she just brings him stuff. So if you want to know the way to a kid's heart, just give them things, right? Just, and, and they'll start to, to, to do that. But I want to uh, continue this illustration this morning. So I'm going to invite my buddy Brock to stage. Can you guys give a round of applause uh, to Brock? He's coming on up. Brock and I have been friends, close buddies, for a little over seven years now, and and I bring Brock to the stage for this reason of to say that there's a difference between being close to somebody and close with somebody. So first of all, uh, I like your shirt. What Thank brand you. is that? Built. Oh, Sa- same as yours. Same as mine. Crazy. What kind of pants do you have on? Uh, they are. Uh are those bird dogs? Bird dogs, yeah. Dang, me too. Mm-hmm. Whoa, yeah. that's kind of wild. Random. That that's crazy. And here's the thing: is if Brock and I just walked around like this, or maybe if we put our <laughs> put our foreheads together, he he really likes when we do this um, <laughs> and stuff. Just because we are close in the same proximity doesn't mean we actually get to know each other. But Brock and I said we've been friends for really close friends for seven years. Our wives love it when we hang out together. They love it. They love it. We just get more annoying. Uh-huh. We're annoying as is, and then it just compounds. It's possible. Uh, but over the seven years, we've, we, we've found that not only do we have similar interests, but we've developed more as well, too. And so um, what would you say uh, on, the count, on the count of three? Who is the greatest sitcom character of all time? On the count of three, you say, I say it. Ready? One, two, three. Michael, Michael Scott. Scott. Okay, all right. What then is the greatest sitcom television show of all time? On the count of three. One, two, three. Seinfeld. Seinfeld. Right? And so this is crazy. Like, like we, we, we've developed our friendship. Uh, I play pickleball a little bit now because you got into pickleball uh, and we have hobbies. But here's another. So some of this was kind of planned. We didn't really have to. But I have one more for you. Um, okay. Come this way, uh, if you will. What is the greatest candy that has ever been created? <laughs> the greatest candy. Are, are, are we doing it on three? Or no, you just, you just say ner- what the greatest oh, candy is. Oh, it's nerd clusters. Nerd clusters. Can you open this for me okay. this morning? So all the other ones were prepared. This last one was not. What do you got there? Oh, we got some nerd, nerd clusters. Nerd clusters. Magic, people! <laughs> Everybody, give it up for give it up for my buddy Brock. Thanks, bud. Appreciate it. And I say that to say is if if you just spend time in the same house or proximity of somebody, you can say you are close to them. But it takes things like intentionality, authenticity, openness, vulnerability. You got to share part of who you are, fears, likes, dislikes, in order to be considered close with someone. See, see, if you all, if I close my eyes and everybody went through the room one by one by one by one, and you said something out loud, doesn't matter what it is, with my eyes closed, I could tell you if that was Brock's voice or not, because I've spent enough time with him, around him, knowing him to distinguish his voice, that when he speaks, it's kind of annoying sometimes, but you know, no, I'm just kidding. We begin to kind of know, and my, my point with, as we continue this series, you in five years, is are you close with God, or are you just close to God? That's kind of the question I want to pose for us this morning as we continue this series. Are you actually close with God, or you just happen to be close to Him? Can you recognize His voice? Does He know the desires of your heart? If He were to call you, could you pick up and know? Do you give Him priority? Is there intentional time spent with Him, day after day, week after week, month after month, with Him as your Lord and Savior, or are you just merely close to Him? Oh, that's a church. I go there. Yep, here's a Bible. I know a couple of verses. There's stories that I recognize. And I think to me, what I have learned over the course of my faith is there's a monumental difference between being close with God as Lord, Savior, Master of our lives being versus being close. To him, And that's what I want to talk to you about today. So this series, we're in week two of you in five years. They say we overestimate what we can accomplish in one, underestimate what we can accomplish in five. And the challenge last week was to remember that ongoing consistency beats sporadic intensity. That if there are changes that you want to make, start small but commit to them. Because in five years, we will all look different in some way or another. And the challenge for us and the prayer for, for our church family is that in five years, we would all be radically closer to and with Jesus than we have ever been before. But it requires intentionality to be close with God. So if you have a Bible, I want to do a fun story that we have for us this morning. In Exodus chapter thirty. We're going to be, if you have a Bible, you can turn there uh, with me. Exodus, second book of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, first five books of the Bible are, are called the Torah or the Pentateuch. They give us kind of a summation of God's law, plan, design for human flourishing. This Hebrew word tov, to live in the goodness of God. And to kind of set up where we are, because it's kind of important, is we're going to look at this interaction that Moses has with the people of Israel. And so this guy by the name of Moses was kind of the leader of God's people. He had rescued them out of Egypt uh, from from slavery and oppression through the ten plagues and other things. And then they began to wander in the wilderness. But in Exodus chapter 20, Moses goes up to this place called Mount Sinai. Everybody say Mount Sinai. And he goes up to Mount Sinai and God says, I'm going to give you kind of my law, my decree of how to live with me as a people. And while Moses is up on Mount Sinai, he gets the Ten Commandments, but then he also gets all of the instructions about the Levites, the priests, how to set up the tabernacle, what is important about certain feasts and festivals and offerings. And while Moses is up there, the people of Israel start to act a fool. They're kind of like, oh, he's taking forever. He's been up there a really long time. We, we just want to be able to know God, experience God, worship God. And so then they make a grave, grave mistake. They make a grave mistake because they say, we can't wait any longer. We want God with us now, right now. And so they began to cast all of their gold. All the people took all their their bracelets and their earrings and their jewelry, and they made a golden calf, and they began to worship it, and they said, this is our God now. Moses comes down from Mount Sinai, and he's just like, yo, what is happening? Because what the people of Israel wanted more than anything else, and I would venture to guess that if you call yourself a Christian, a disciple, maybe you're just exploring God for the first time that one of the things you would love to know and to experience for yourself is the presence of God, the manifestation of God. It's this Hebrew phrase called "Kabod Yahweh. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to kind of warm ourselves up this morning. I'm going to split the room in half, okay? And you guys say the word "Kabod." You guys say the word Yahweh. Yahweh is the highest name for God. And so the people of Israel, there was this tradition in which they would chant this phrase because they wanted to invoke God's presence into life. Okay, so this side of the room, when I point to you guys, you all say kabod. This side, when I point to you guys, you guys say Yahweh. You got it? So let's warm up this one, all right? Here we go. Get it. Yeah, there we go. And so they would do this chant collectively because they wanted to say, we want to be in the presence of God. But over time, they would get off course. They would develop an idol that wasn't God himself. Moses comes down from the mountain. He's a little peeved to see what happens. And this is where we pick up today. Exodus chapter 33. We're going to read 18 verses. You can follow along with me. If you have your Bible and you're there, say there. And let's take some notes and let's have the Lord speak to us today. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go to the land I promised you, aka the promised land, on the oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites and the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites and go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. But I will not go with you. Remember, this is God speaking because you are a stiff-necked People. If you're taking notes, if you're writing your Bible, highlight, circle, underline that word stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you along the way. And when the people heard this distressing word, they began to mourn, and no one put on any ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, tell the Israelites, you are, there it is again, a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you, even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments, and I will decide what to do with you. And so the Israelites stripped their ornaments there at Mount Horeb. Now Moses used to take, and your translation might say made practice or habit to a tent and pitched it outside the camp, some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone requiring to go to, uh, to speak to the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered. As, as, as Moses went into the tent... The pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance. In the book of Exodus, the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night was the representation, was the Chabad Yahweh of his presence. While the Lord spoke with Moses. And whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing in the entrance of the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance of their tent. And the Lord would speak to Moses face to face. As one speaks to a friend, that Moses would return to the camp But his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. And Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. You are pleased with me. Teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. And the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the others on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. And then Moses said, so show me your glory. So just remember, Israel had just kind of created a God in their own image. God's not happy and he refers to them as a stiff-necked people. Now it's a phrase that appears six times in the book of Exodus to, 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 to describe the people of Israel. And the the phrase stiff-necked is a phrase that means unable to look up. So imagine you just kind of have like one of those dog cones around. I guess you're always looking up. You know what I mean. Like You're kind of stuck. And so he's saying that my people, the people of God, the nation of Israel, they are a stiff-necked people. They are unable to look up, to worship, to praise, to say thanks. And Moses is kind of like, yeah, this is not good, is it? And God's like, no. That's the last thing I want. Like imagine, for example, if you were talking to somebody and they, they've been married for like 20 years. And you said, so, so tell me about your, your spouse. I'm like, I don't know. I don't really see him that much. Oh, but, but let me tell you about our house. Man, it, it's, it's awesome. It's got one of those water bottle machines that fills up in the wall. You don't have to open the refrigerator. It's dope. And we got like seven cars and he makes or she makes so much money and I can go on a vacation whenever I want. Okay, so you guys must still be in love. How's it going? I don't know. I don't really see him. In fact, my favorite part of this relationship is when they're out of town or when they're gone on business or I don't see him for a couple weeks. At that point, you would kind of have a little pause for concern. Why are you in this relationship for the first place? And it's kind of like what's happening with the people of Israel when God says to Moses, that my people, the people of Israel, they are stiff-necked. They are in this for what I can give to them, but they can't even look up. They can't even find me, see me, worship me at all. Like imagine if, if Jesus came to you. He sat down in the flesh, had a conversation with you. I said, you got two options here. Option one. I'll give you the job, I'll give you the car, I'll give you the house, I'll give you the wealth, I'll give you everything you could possibly want or desire in life, but I'm out. That's option one. Option two, you get me with you whenever you want. Call on my name, I'm there, but I can't promise you any of that other stuff that your heart desires. Which are you gonna take? And I don't say that to guilt you, Maybe a little bit because I'm feeling a little guilty and shamed myself. Convicted. But I think it poses that question. What do we actually want from God? The people of Israel, God says, you're stiff-necked. You don't worship me. You don't praise me. In fact, when I don't give you what you want on the timeline that you want, you go make up a different God to worship instead. See, being stiff-necked is simple, is that when we desire the things of God more than God himself, and I believe this is our way to say perhaps us all, myself included, we need to maybe repent of loving Jesus far too little. It's one thing to say, God, I want to let you get me out of, of hell when I die and pass away. It's another thing to desire to live a holy life. God, thank you for your salvation, but I don't want to be sanctified, I don't want to be changed, I don't want to be transformed, I don't want to be different. God, I will take your blessings, but I just want you to give them to me, and I don't want to have to actually do anything different. God, thank you that you freed me from the debt of my sin, but does that mean I also am now free to sin because it's by grace? And so to be stiff-necked, Moses is saying, this is a problem, and God is so fed up. He says, fine, take your promised land, take my stuff, but I'm not going with you. And then Moses is like, whoa, whoa, whoa hold up. God, God if, if, if you don't go, I'm not going either. They may want that. They might take you up on that deal. We kind of find out that they kind of mourn and say, we don't really want that deal actually. But God, if you don't go then, then I'm not going either. And so Moses begins to show that that what was distinguished about him is it says that he spoke to God face to face, spoke to God like a friend. A little bit about Moses. Uh, You might recognize his name. Maybe you've seen the cartoon, The Prince of Egypt. Uh, but, But Moses was this child born in a genocide. And his, his mother put him in a basket, floated him down the river, and then someone from Pharaoh's palace pulls him up out of the river. And all of a sudden he gets, gets adopted into the most wealthy person's house that ever existed during that time. So he went from a child who was just going to be cast off the side of a cliff left to die to growing up in the kingdom. Pharaoh's palace, had access to anything and everything. And Moses grows up in this household. He gets older, he becomes a teenager. And then he still has this connection with his people, his Hebrew people, to the point he, he defends one of them and murders a guy. And someone from Pharaoh's palace, like, oh, we're going to have to tell your stepdad about this. And instead he flees out to the, uh, to the desert. And Moses goes into the desert, fleeing for his life, probably has no idea where to go. No idea what to do. No idea how to make his life because life's been cush for him. Life's been set up. He hasn't had to think or want or desire anything. It's just been handed to him on a silver platter. And then he runs into this man by the name of Jethro. And Jethro was a priest. Someone who taught others how to seek the face of God. Exodus chapter two to Exodus chapter three. There's decades that happen here and we don't know a whole lot. But the page turns, and the next thing we find out is Moses has an encounter with God. He goes into this mountain, and he sees a bush that is on fire, but the fire does not consume it. And he takes off his sandals because he's standing in the presence of God. And the Lord begins to speak directly with Moses. You see, I think in that time from when he murdered somebody and fled into the desert... To the time he speaks with God in the burning bush, Jethro taught him, here is how you seek and search and know the presence of God in life. Because from the moment Moses speaks with God in that burning bush, he is never the same. He goes back to Egypt, he rescues the people, and then fast forward to where we are today. Jethro says, the kabod Yahweh, the thing that you want most in life, I will teach you, I will show you how to get there. But when God shows up in a burning bush, you better be able to recognize it's him, that it's him with anything else. And so then we get to the tent of meeting. And this is the part of this text that that always floors me. It's close to home. And so so they're moving around, right? They're wandering around in the wilderness. And they would set up their camp, all their tent and places and whatnot. And then it says that Moses made a habit of setting up a tent outside a camp. So we're going to say this over here, right? This, so he would go outside a camp. Here's the camp where everybody sleeps, Just outside of camp, Moses made a habit to set up. This is the tent of meeting. And if you notice in Exodus chapter 33, what happened is that Moses made a habit of doing this. Wherever they went, he would go. He would set one up, make sure it was there. But then it also added that part, that anyone who wanted to speak with God could go to the tent of meeting. Anyone could go there. Anybody could leave and go to the tent just outside. And it's interesting, because it's not inside the camp. It's not next to it. It's not in the center of camp. You have to make a little bit of an intentional effort. Everybody could see the camp. Everybody, or the tent, everybody knew where it was. And it said, though, as soon as Moses would go in, right? So you get to the tent, zip it with have zippers, right? He'd go in and, and get in his tent. And then all of a sudden, whoosh, in an instant, instantaneously, Moses would be in the tent speaking with God face to face. And the crazy thing about it, as everybody else in Israel is like, oh, there goes Moses. It's that time of the day. He's going off to his tent. And what would they do? They would just step outside their tent and just stand there and watch. And they would watch the cloud, the presence of God descend. And maybe they could hear murmurings. Maybe some people, like, you know, put the cup up to the side of the tent. What are they talking about? The wonder, wonder is good. Anyone could go. It wasn't limited to Moses. There's nothing special about Mo. He was a murderer. He happened to grow up in a royal priest, left it all behind. He didn't go to seminary. He wasn't special. But the thing that distinguished Moses is he made regular habit to go to the presence of God, to the tent that was close to camp. But only one man was known to be close With God. And what distinguished Moses from the rest of the people he was leading? He made practice, he made habit to meet with God face to face, hear his voice. There was no delay when you would go into the tent, it wasn't like you go into the tent. And then God says, okay, well, well, how many good works have you done this week? How many Bible verses did you memorize recently? Have you been to church every week for the last three months? Yeah, okay, cool, now I'm going to come down. Did you do enough good to outweigh your bad? How much did you give last week? How many times have you served? Did you bite your tongue enough times? Did you choose not to gossip? Like, you know, it was like As soon as you went into the tent, the promise was fulfilled. Whoosh, there's God. Anyone could have gone. Anyone in the people of Israel had access to the tent of meeting, but only one made the habit, the choice to regularly meet with God. The crazy part is Moses meets so much with God, he says, I know you by name, I recognize your voice, I don't know if you picked up, that he actually negotiates with God. God's like, hey, uh, you're going to go. I'm not going with you. I might send somebody, might send an angel, maybe not. And Moses is like, but like, what if you do? And God's like, okay, fine. You know what that means? It's like somebody has to have such a rapport and relationship with another person to negotiate with them. And God listens because he was pleased because Moses found favor with him, And here's my point for us this morning as we talk about you in five years. You want to be closer to God in the next five years. Remember this facet from Exodus chapter 33. That the presence of God is better than the presence of God. That the presence of God, E-N-C-E, is greater than the presence, E-N-T-S, of God. We all want the presence of God. We want the health. We want the wealth. We want the blessedness. We want the assurance. We want the peace. We want all of those things. It's not wrong. It's not selfish to desire those. But do you desire the presence of God more? Because when we learn in Exodus, God says, if you want this, if you flip this greater than signal, right, you're taught in school that the alligator wants to eat what's better or greater, And if you believe what is greater and better for your life is the presence of God, E-N-T-S, over the presence, E-N-C-E, of God, then you are going to become a stiff-necked people. You will be unable to worship, to know, to seek, to pray, to give thanksgiving. And Moses shows us that the key is not what happens outside the tent. It's what happens inside the tent. Think about what happens inside the tent versus what happens outside the tent. Inside the tent, the favor of God is defined as his presence, whereas outside, favor of God is only seen. God, what have you done for us lately? Inside the tent, Moses wanted more of God. Outside the tent, the people of Israel wanted more of God's stuff. Inside the tent, Moses spoke to God face-to-face like a friend as God is, whereas outside the tent, they spoke to God as they saw fit. And here's the big one. Inside the tent, we see that Moses was changed, and God was not. Outside the tent of meeting, they didn't want to change, but they wanted to change God. God, we don't like that this is taking so long. We don't like this place. We don't like those enemies. You better do something, or else we don't love you anymore. But Moses finds favor in the presence of God, in the tent of meeting to say, this is all I could want or desire. And it's a word of caution, I think, for us all. It's a word of caution for myself, my own spirit, is that we can be close to God. We can camp near his presence. We can know where to find him. We can know what to do. We can even spout out his promises. But that doesn't mean we are actually close with So here's kind of my big point to wrap up my message for us this morning and Moses leans into it and it applies to us is that the favor of God is only found in the presence of God. The favor of God, the greatest gift, if you want to be somebody who knows God, walks with God, speaks with God, you merely need to do one thing and that is to make a regular habit to go into that tent of meeting, into his presence, presence Moses was distinguished he was favored because he was close with God like a friend God if you don't go to the promised land if you don't go to that land flowing with milk and honey I ain't going either because that's not worth it to me I don't want your stuff God I want you I don't want more of the things you can do in the world around me I want more of you moving in me and through me God I don't care about what blessedness actually looks like on the surface until I have had my full of you first. Because Moses understood that the favor of God is only found in his presence. And the key condition was this, is that Moses could not go into the tent for them. This is a rare instance in which Moses negotiates with God, but you notice what led them to this point. Like God didn't say, there's the promised land, I promise I'm given to you, go ahead, go. I know some of you haven't been as faithful as you would have liked. I know some of you is kind of, you were really hyped on that golden calf idea. I know some of you, you've really given into that sin, into that flesh, into that temptation. I know some of you, you put on a smiling face when you come to worship me at the temple. I know some of you, you just kind of, you know, you you, you piece it together. I know some of you you, you, you really listened as a kid, but now you don't really follow it. But you know what? Moses is super good and he's super faithful. So I'm going to look over all of that. Congratulations, guys. No, no, he simply says, I don't want to go with you. If you're going to be stiff-necked like this, I ain't in it for this. I ain't in it. If that's what you want from me, take my stuff. This is the last time. Go on without me. But that's not what this life is about. See, Moses could not go into the tent for them. It wasn't until Moses speaks to his best friend. Just change your mind this one time. I don't know if you uh, have heard of this phrase before. It's kind of a thing that's going on in our culture, church life. Uh, But it's this phrase, deconstruction. And uh, there was a study recently released by the Barna Group that said that the number one reason deconstruction is when uh, people, usually young adults, uh, they can be older, whatever, they, they grow up in their faith and then they deconstruct their faith in order to kind of uh, find a new faith or a different faith. And I think deconstruction can actually be a healthy thing. It can be a thing if you deconstruct your faith with the sake of piecing it back together. You're not deconstructing just to say, I don't want to do the God thing, so I'm going to deconstruct so I can just walk away, whatever. But Barnard Group did this research and said the number one reason, the overwhelming cause for young adults walking away, deconstructing their faith is because what they saw at church was not modeled in the home. I've got two young kids and I'm a pastor. And sometimes it makes it even more difficult and scary, that reality. That the number one reason That people struggle with faith isn't so much of the promises or scripture or whatever. There's some of that, some of those doubts. But the number one reason is because what they saw at church did not match what they saw at home. So I begin to think and and pray and and reflect on my own life. What about my kids? When my son becomes a high schooler, when my daughter becomes a high schooler, when they graduate and move on, what are they going to say? they going to say about the faith of their father? Are they going to say, dad was a really, really good preacher and he gave some half decent sermons on a Sunday and he was super nice to people because he had to, because he wanted to keep his job. But man, when he got home, I never saw or heard any of that stuff. My prayer, my hope is that as my kids grow in age, that one thing becomes abundantly clear. dad loved the presence of God. My dad had a tent of meeting that he would retreat to on a regular basis. And the only way that will happen is if I make habit of doing that. That's it. To prioritize, to love, to know the face and the presence of God. And adventure, if you have kids, you feel the same. I'd venture to guess that perhaps if you are in that phase, maybe you are in that deconstruction era. Maybe you grew up and and one of the things you really didn't like about church is who your parents uh, were, but then what you saw behind the scenes. And I think that was the great example of Moses is to say who he was in the presence of God is who he was around everybody else. And God said, that's why he is favored. That's why he is distinguished is because he wants to be in this morning I want you to think think about this thought of what does it take to be close with somebody you're close to people right now maybe it's somebody you love maybe it's somebody who snored last night maybe it's somebody you haven't met before and you could probably make the argument too that you are close to God as well it's like negative 30 degree wind chill. You guys heard? Yet yeah, you still came to church, and we're here with you, and we were so glad to worship with you. You're singing songs. We're about to take communion. You heard a message. Your kids are doing the same thing in the back. If you have kids, and so you can make the argument you are close to God, but the challenge is, are you actually close with Him? Can you speak with God face to face? that tent of meeting is for you. If God were to call you, would you be able to recognize his voice on the other line? There's a a subtle temptation to be okay with just being close to God. But if you're somebody who's saying, me in five years, I want to be closer with God than ever before. I want to be favored. I want to be distinguished. I want to know what true blessing looks like in this life then we follow the example, the leading of Moses to say, we are close with him. And so being close with somebody takes time. It takes consistency. It takes transparency. In your time of prayer with God, whether it's five minutes, 10 minutes, an hour, whether it's driving uh, driving to work, driving home from church, sitting in your office at home, wherever it is, do you keep it peacey? God, thanks for the day. May be good. Take this pain Do you get real? Do you get raw? Do you talk to him as if he was somebody who was there in the flesh, a friend who could handle the truth of what's on your heart and in your mind? The voice of God, we've said this before, sounds just like his word. The word can't replace your time in the Word. My giving, my serving, my sharing of my faith cannot replace and do it for you. It is something that we all must experience it together. And so as we get ready to partake in communion, we remember the way and the reason in which we enter into the presence of God, not on a work of our own, but on the work of Jesus, because it's God's presence that makes us is going to come on the screen here in just a moment, and we encourage you to partake with us through communion this morning. If you haven't had the chance to grab your elements, uh, you can slip up from your seat, uh, the four entrances into the auditorium. You don't have to be a member of our church to partake in this with us, but if you are a member of the family of God, a disciple of Jesus, we invite you to worship through this avenue as well today as well. The communion represents the body of Christ broken for you in that little cracker, the blood of Christ shed for you in that little cup of juice. And we also give you this time to reflect, to pray. And maybe in this time you just need to unstiffen your neck. Maybe you need to look up. Maybe you need to shout. Maybe you need to worship. Maybe you feel the need to come forward and and to to publicly, to confess, to repent, to place something for him in prayer here at the altar. Maybe you just need to thank him. Maybe you need to ask him to restore and mold and shape your heart. Maybe your prayer during this next three minutes is to say, God, show me what my tent needs to look like. Show me what I need to be doing so that I can be like Moses and make a regular habit, regular practice to run into your presence. Because whatever it is, we are only the